Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Welcome, everybody, to Incarceration, Episode 6. Hello, everybody. It is Christopher Chapman. I am back for Episode 6 of Incarceration. I hope you all had a great Halloween and I hope that those of you who downloaded the Halloween bus enjoyed it. In case you missed it, on Tuesday there was a bonus episode of the Going Postal cast. I released the Halloween bus, a short story that I wrote originally back in 2001. I released it for the first time in podcasting form. I rewrote the whole thing and I gave it to you guys as a little bit of a present. Hope you enjoyed it. For those of you who haven't listened to it, go back, find it, listen to it. It's awesome stuff. So as with every episode before I get into the story, it is time to give some updates that are going on in the world of the going postal and me and all that good crud. So it is NaNoWriMo. What does that mean? It means I'm working on a new book. My first fantasy book, I am, as of writing this, which is, it is or November 1st today, as I'm recording this, I am about 2,000 words into the new story. So, yay, I'm off to a good start. It's something that's totally different for me. I'm not accustomed to writing fantasy. I'm not used to having names or this completely off the reservation. Uh, my girlfriend's looking up different kinds of uh, names with meaning, and we're throwing it in, we're picking and choosing what we want to use, and it's kind of nice, and it's nice that she's working with me on it to kind of uh, give, she's the fantasy expert, so I'm letting her kind of give some input into this, and I'm just kind of putting the story together, so it has been awesome so far, just one day into it. If you've been following along and uh, notice also in the feed this week, there was a, a little video there, about a two-minute video, unveiling the cover of the next book, Daddy's Little Girl. That is the name of the next book from me and Going Postal Publishing. It should be out sometime July or August of next year, as long as the Mayan prophecy doesn't come true and we all end up dead before then. Over the course of the next few months, I'm going to give you little tidbits of information about Daddy's Little Girl. And I'm going to start today with the cover. You can see that there's a picture of a lovely, lovely lady on the cover. That is a 17-year-old uh, photo of uh, my girlfriend. And I splattered her with blood, so it was fun. I also sprinkled in a little bit of design as far as the text of Daddy's Little Girl, and that is set up a specific way, and you'll have to read the book to understand 
why it is done up in that kind of a script. That's my first little tease for Daddy's Little Girl. And now, a little bit of a good story. We are on the nook! That is right, incarceration is finally on the nook. It took weeks. I can't believe how long it took. Now, I have no problem with how these companies want to do their business, but Kindle, the one that I thought was going to be a kind of a pain in the butt, they did it basically overnight. I went to bed, I set it up, I sent them the file, I went to bed, I got up the next morning, it was on the Kindle store. And I basically had a sale that day, which was like, whoa, that was awesome. So <laughs> that was great. And then I had problems with the iBook store, but that one was on there a couple of weeks ago. And even though it didn't get on there until much later than the Kindle store, sales have been much better on the Kindle store or on the iBook store than it has been on the Kindle store. So yay, Apple. Now, the Nook store, it just arrived in the Nook store basically one week ago, right as I was putting together the episode. So essentially, I didn't get to mention it in the episode, but I did get to post something in the description and did put up a link on the website on the in the upper menu bar there at the top of the screen. I have all the different links to all the different places where you can buy incarceration, so got that taken care of, so everything's going right there. So now that incarceration is available on the big three of ebook publishers or sellers, we can sit there and start focusing on world domination. Yeah. I'm coming for your souls. I will take my Uzi and I will kill every last one of you. No, I, I shouldn't say that. I know it's uh, contrary to popular belief, we don't actually get issued Uzis when we work at the post office. I know that most of you believe that we get issued a Uzi when we walk in the door. It's like, you start with two weeks of vacation and an Uzi. No, we don't get the Uzi. Sorry. We don't get, we don't even get a handgun of any kind. So, sorry, I hate to burst that bubble. Last little update, I emailed out all of the people who earned the free copy of The Candidate by purchasing incarceration in any of its forms in the month of October. So that's been sent out. I designed a cover specifically for that short story, and I think it turned out pretty good. So I will post that at some point, what the cover looks like for that. And at some point, I think we are going to make it available on the website in some form or fashion. But we're going to let those people who got their free copy get to hang on to it a little bit longer before I send it out to the masses. And that's about all I got as far as updates go. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, so we're going to get right into the story. So here you go, episode 6 of Incarceration. Chapter 11 Ten minutes passed before another officer came to take Jason Rangel off his hands. Randy Thompson watched as Jason got into the back of Officer Colin Back's cruiser with a pair of handcuffs on his wrists. I need you to go to the station to answer a few questions, Randy told Jason just after Colin Back arrived. 
I just got done telling you what happened for the second time, Jason said through his tears. Why do I have to tell you again? You're not telling me again, Randy said. At least, not yet. I need you to go with Officer Colin back and tell him exactly what you told me. He's the one that's going to write up the official report. Be as thorough as you possibly can. Everything that you say can be the difference between us catching the guy that did this and him getting away. You have the right to remain silent, Officer Collenbach said as he produced a pair of handcuffs from his belt. He moved Jason's arms behind him and locked the cuffs with an audible click. You have the right to an attorney. Jason looked at Randy with confusion and anger stamped on his face. Randy thought briefly that Jason genuinely didn't know what was going on. Why are you doing this to me? Jason asked. This is all precautionary, Randy lied. This was an official arrest. The kid didn't need to know that. They were going to cover their asses the best they could while getting the kid to cooperate. He wanted to make sure that lame excuse for a story was recorded. It might be the difference between an insanity plea and a guilty conviction. But the important thing was that this kid was going away for a while. The handcuffs are policy. You can't travel in the back of a police car without them. It seemed that Jason understood what he was saying, even if it were bullshit. He had this kid playing right into his hands. If he was careful, he might get a confession out of him before morning. Morning was still a ways off. He had other matters to attend to right now, the most important being that he had to get the bodies to the morgue for their autopsies. He also had to make sure that there wasn't a repeat performance of bodies disappearing. He needed them to be there in the morning. That meant finding some extra men to take watch around the bodies tonight. He wasn't going to let this night end badly, even if it meant he had to stay up for a second straight night and watch the bodies himself. He watched Officer Cullen back drive away with his prime suspect in the rear of his car. He didn't need much more evidence to prove that the kid did it. There was more than enough evidence to put this kid in prison for a lifetime. Hell, if this were a different state, he was sure he could get him the death penalty. The evidence was simple, yet wonderfully powerful. Jason Rangel lived in a house with the exact same floor plan as the Normans, the family that had been murdered the night before. The bodies all had long, sliced-out chunks of their throats, some looking as if they'd been ripped or cut with a sharp object. He had a bloody pair of scissors in his custody, a pair that they surely could get a DNA match if they sent the sample to that fancy new DNA testing facility in Green Bay. There was also the fact that Jason had been discovered covered in blood. Once again, no doubt. Then you add that he is the sole survivor out of six people during two incidences in two families in a two-night span. The coincidences told a story that didn't lie. This boy was as guilty as O.J. should have been. The only difference was that he wouldn't be able to afford the high-priced attorney to get himself out of it. Randy walked back into the house, needing to look for one other piece of evidence. He suspected that it would be there, but he needed to see it with his own two eyes. He walked upstairs and headed straight for the bedroom, avoiding the bloody spots as he did. He paused as he stood five feet from the bedroom, staring at the now brightly lit room that contained three officers that had arrived on the scene just moments before. They were busy trying to piece together the puzzle that was this case. He had little doubt that they could do it. He entered the bedroom and looked at the wall. Nothing. He'd expected the words, death has come, to be there. They weren't. Maybe something had gone wrong with the murders, and that's why he was unable to write his message. 
Maybe Dad fought back more than the boy had anticipated. Something else that Jason had told him popped into his mind. Oh shit, he thought and ran downstairs. He exited the house and walked out to his car. He went over to the right window and started examining the ground with his flashlight. Jason's second story had included a few events that weren't mentioned the first time he spoke. Namely that the killer had been just outside the car while he'd been inside the house. He prayed to God that it wasn't true. He had this kid caught hook, line, and sinker. The last thing he needed was the slightest shred of doubt in his mind, or in anybody else's. He wasn't sure of what he was looking for. The ground was disturbed, and he did find a pair of footprints that likely belonged to Jason. While he didn't find any other tracks, he did see some strange markings in the dirt that gave him hesitation. There were faint pressings in the soil, almost like a pair of jeans being pressed into the dirt. It was an odd marking to find next to his squad car, but it proved nothing. If there were another killer, and he'd been kneeling, there would be an indentation where his knees had pressed firmly into the dirt. Also, there would be more of a trail where he'd come to and moved away from the car on his knees. He didn't find any of those. If there was somebody here, he'd been floating mere inches above the ground and had pressed the soil by accident. He laughed, knowing just how crazy that sounded. Yet he found himself considering Jason's words, no matter how improbable they seemed. Closer examination showed two small specks of red. Blood. Somebody or something had been here, just as Jason had said. He pushed the thought away. There was no time for him to be thinking about such insane thoughts. He had his man. Boy, in this instance. There was no point to be looking elsewhere, or chase ghosts that didn't exist. This boy was going to prison. He only wished he could figure out why he tormented himself with this small bit of doubt. He swiped his foot over the imprints in blood, intending for nobody else to see it. He didn't need anybody seeing them, then drawing their own conclusions. He needed them focused on the job at hand. He needed them to secure enough evidence to make sure that Jason Rangel wouldn't see the light of day ever again. You all right? Officer Jim Hendricks said, startling Randy. Randy had been so caught up in his thoughts that he hadn't noticed that he was no longer alone. What are you doing? Oh, nothing, Randy said, walking away from the spot. He glanced back, trying to make sure that he'd done a good enough job. He had. The imprints were gone. I thought I saw something. Guess I was wrong. He glanced back at Jim. Is there any new developments? Something that we can use to put this boy behind bars? You're that convinced it was him? Bet your ass I am, Randy said. I still don't know how those bodies were taken from the morgue, but I think that the Normans were some kind of dry run for what he had planned tonight. They are both families of three. The same weapon killed both families. He lifted a finger for each point. The boys got blood all over him and may very well have been carrying the weapon that was used to kill both families. I'm going to have the scissors tested to see if there's any way we can match the blood on it to one or both families. No offense, Chief, but I think we should consider all possibilities at the beginning and draw a conclusion based on the evidence we find throughout the investigation. Randy stared at Jim for a moment. He managed to contain the laughter that was trying to burst out. Who did this guy think he was? Did he really think that's how it was supposed to go? He wondered if this youngster had been led astray at the academy. That wasn't how things worked. He should have known that. 
he could still believe in fairy tales because he wasn't the one that was going to have the entire city breathing down his back for results. Jim wasn't going to be dealing with the pressure for every second of every day until somebody was convicted. He had his guy. All the evidence pointed towards Jason Rangel. The only thing that went against him was a strange mark on the ground that could have come from anywhere. He couldn't base his belief in a kid's guilt or innocence on one mystery mark and two drops of blood that could have been from when Jason left the house. The scissors would undoubtedly seal this kid's fate. Why couldn't Jim see that? Why couldn't he understand all of the pressure that came with this job? If you don't mind, I'm going to get back to work, Randy said, walking around his car. I have a young man to get a confession from. You call me if you find anything that could sway this case one way or another. I want every inch of that house combed, searched, and dusted. I don't really know what more to say. Just do it. Any questions? Jim shook his head. He would do what he was told, but didn't appear to be happy about taking orders. He'll never make it in this business, Randy thought. He doesn't understand what you have to do to get results. This is Niagara, and we have to do things our own way. He looked over his shoulder at Jim as he started the car and began his trip back to headquarters. He saw that Jim was looking strangely at his back window. What in the hell was he looking at? Angrier than ever, he drove away. He wasn't aware that it was the last time that he'd see Officer Jim Hendricks. Chapter 12 as Officer Brad Collenbach drove Jason Rangel away from the scene of the murders, somebody stood watch from within the shadow of darkness. He watched their every move and studied everything that happened. He was upset that things had turned out the way they had. Things were supposed to be different. This town was supposed to have been the one he'd spent so long looking for. How could I have been so foolish? He asked himself. How could I make such foolish mistakes? He had every right to be hard on himself after the failures of the past two nights. Just last night, he'd allowed that behemoth of a man to fire bullets at him. He'd been so distracted with the woman that he hadn't noticed him coming back up the stairs. He took care of him, though. He'd fixed that problem. Tonight appeared to be a different story. He'd seen the boy while he was still in the hall. He'd smelled the boy's fear and had assessed that he wouldn't be a threat. He soon found out that the boy was more resourceful than he'd believed him to be. Being kicked down the stairs had been completely unexpected. Nobody had been able to do that to him before. Ever. Nobody had lived long enough to do so. Now that the boy was gone, he wished that he had taken the time to kill the boy. He'd had him all by himself in that car. He could have broken in there, eaten out his throat, and been back into the safety of night before anyone was the wiser. Unfortunately, there was a chance he would have been spotted by the police officer, and that was unacceptable. He couldn't allow a police officer to see him. If he'd called for backup, or given his description to somebody before he died, that would have been the end of it all. No, he did what he could and was done with it. He'd have to move on now that the boy would certainly be considered the prime suspect in the investigation that would surely follow this feast. He would start fresh in a new city and a new environment. Nobody could know who he was or what he'd done. Something else was happening. He watched as the cop looked at the ground. He was interested in something there. 
but not the window. That had been where he scared the boy. Was it possible that the cop saw something on the ground? He wondered if he'd been careless. Maybe. Another cop walked up to the first officer, and they had a discussion. After some time, the first cop left in his car, leaving the other one all alone. The killer took in a deep breath, smelling the wonderful scent of blood. He could smell this officer. He smelled wonderful. He had to have him. He had to feed on him. This cop needed to die. He stood and crept through the shadows, feeling his instincts taken over. It was time to feed once more. Officer Jim Hendricks watched Randy Thompson drive away, feeling a great deal of contempt for the man. He hadn't been working in Niagara for very long, but felt that Randy was kind of a blowhard. He worked his officers as if they were part of some big city task force, gunning to take down some crime syndicate that held the city hostage. Who was he kidding? This was Niagara, Wisconsin. This wasn't big city USA or wherever he'd come from. Sure, the training that he'd given them was paying off right now. Who would have thought that there would have been a triple homicide in Niagara? Who would have thought that there would have been a double homicide the very next night? Nobody, not even the great Randy Thompson, could have anticipated such a string of crimes. The weird thing was, now that Randy should have been in his glory, he was acting awfully strange. He'd been staring at the spot on the ground as if there were something there. Jim walked to the spot and looked down. Randy had taken his foot and spread the soil. Why would he have done that? There was no rational explanation for why he would have done that unless it was to conceal something that he'd seen there. There was no way of knowing the truth, but he figured he'd better keep a closer eye on the chief. There was something about Randy's rear window. He'd seen something, a flicker of light, as Randy drove away. Something was wrong with that rear window. He couldn't allow himself to be this hostile towards his superior. Jim was a father of three. He couldn't afford to lose his job because he went against his commanding officer, no matter the circumstances. Because of how peaceful Niagara had been until recently, Randy Thompson carried a lot of weight in this town. He had the power to ruin a man's reputation without the slightest thought of repercussions. Randy could make his life, and that of his family's, such a living hell that he could be forced to leave town. Would Randy actually do that? Probably not. But who was really going to take that chance with the way he'd been acting? Something snapped from the side of the yard. Jim turned his head quickly, trying to locate the sound. There was a group of trees there, but there was too much darkness to see much of anything else. Something had snapped, possibly a stick. There was something out there. Maybe it was an animal, or maybe it was something else. He wondered if it was something connected to the crime. Jim pulled out both his gun and his flashlight from their holsters. He aimed his flashlight beam into the trees, thinking that he would see something. He didn't see anything. He wasn't deterred, walking closer and making sure that his gun was in a good position. He wanted to be able to pull the trigger if someone or something attacked. He hadn't ruled out the possibility of an animal being out here and wanted to be prepared if it was something that might attack. He entered the darkness. He moved the flashlight around, trying to see what had made the noise. After a few seconds, he was convinced that whatever had caused the noise was gone now. He put his gun back in its holster and was about to leave the shadows of the trees when he heard something from above him.
moved the light up just quick enough to see the blur of something coming down from a high branch. It landed on his left side, slamming him to the ground. He tried to yell as the pain hit him like a truck, but all he could get out was a muffled cry. Something was covering his mouth. He looked around, but couldn't see anything. His flashlight had fallen after he'd been hit. He couldn't see what it was that was attacking him. He felt a slight pressure in his throat. All he could think about was how the five people had died. Their throats had been ripped out. He didn't think that was happening to him. The pain was slight and didn't last for more than a second. He felt more like he had drank a few too many beers. His mind felt buzzed as a voice echoed through his consciousness. Suddenly, he was being pulled through the grass by something with a hold of his right ankle. His fear returned to him, but he couldn't scream. The darkness swallowed him whole as he entered eternal night. And there you have it. More incarceration for your ears. I have just invaded your ears. You hear me talking. You hear me doing all the little voices of all the different people. And I have just invaded your ears. I've invaded your mind. I've made images in your mind of a world that you've never been to. Most of you have never even been to Niagara. Most of you have never seen this. Yeah, okay. I, I'm overselling it, I think. I'm going to shut up now. Oh, wait, we're doing a podcast. I, I kind of have to talk here. So we're coming to that part of the episode where I have to pimp out my various points of interest here. Twitter. Twitter.com slash GoingPostalPub. You can go on there and I will post my little immature thoughts randomly throughout the day whenever I find some Wi-Fi while I'm out on my route. Facebook.com slash GoingPostalPublishing. I usually post a lot of the stuff on there and it gets sent to Twitter. I love this technology. It just moves stuff back and forth so easily. I can just post it in one place and it ends up in the other. But sometimes the Facebook people get annoyed when you put some hashtags in there. But, eh, what you gonna do? YouTube. YouTube.com slash user slash going postal pub. But a lot of the videos are gonna end up into the feed anyway. So, but you might as well go there, subscribe, uh, post some comments. Just get the numbers up. Helps me out a lot. Amazon.com. Click through the banner on goingpostalpublishing.com and just buy things off of Amazon. Every, for every dollar you spend, I get a couple of pennies that will help out the show, get me some better equipment, make my voice sound even prettier. You can email me at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. I will answer each and every email. You can request things, all kinds of stuff. You can... Just offer me suggestions. You can just say, you suck. I hope you die a rotten death. I don't care. Questions, comments, cheap shots, send them all to the email address. Last but not least, feedback, reviews. If you have purchased incarceration, or if you are an avid listener of this podcast, please, please, Leave some reviews. Leave reviews on iTunes, whether you purchased the book through iTunes or you listen to the podcast through iTunes. If you have purchased it on Amazon, 
go ahead, go on to Amazon, leave a review. Join the masses. Send some, get put some reviews out there. When you put reviews on there, along with the fact that you subscribe and listen to the show, you help me out. You help me gain exposure on iTunes. The goal is to get into the top 200 and then slowly work our way up. So we need to do that. So there you have it. I'm just going to get out of here now. So until next time, bye. Bye. Sayonara. Hasta la vista, baby. Adios, amigos. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 